You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. And we saw how much things cost. And I got angry. Because you all were here, you know, it was more gradual. I left for three years and then come back, and Hot Cheetos are two fifty. Like, I remember they used to be 99 cents, and I ain't that old. But uh, I say that because I know that we, I mean, people are really struggling. And when people give to missions, I know that it's a sacrifice. And that sacrifice has made a difference in our lives and in, in, in our ability to to make a difference in Germany for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, that sacrifice is not in vain. And, and I just want to say thank you so much for partnering with us. And thank you for your encouragement. I, I contacted Pastor Haley, and he was just excited about having us. And just appreciate that, that, that support and, and your friendship in the Lord. And it really is, is it's like wind in our sails. And uh, we're so excited to see uh, God's blessings upon Elk Point Baptist Church. And uh, many of you uh, here are familiar with my wife. She's from Sioux City. And you all would be so proud uh, of her and just the job that she has done. First of all, putting up with me for three years in Germany, but also just jumping in there and learning the language. Uh, I'll give you just a, a little bit more than what the video said about uh, our ministry. So like the video said, we were three years working with an established missionary, focusing on learning the language. We have made uh, progress by the grace of God. I do preach without a translator. I'm not saying it's pretty, and, and it's it's far from perfect. But we're we're advancing. We're we're taking steps forward. Um, I tell you, the church in Ingolstadt, those folks are going to get extra crowns in heaven for putting up with me butchering their language. Oh man, um, it was bad. It was bad. But it's getting better, and um, we're reached the point now where where we feel. Um, comfortable and, and confident in the language, not that we have it all down, but we, we know enough. And even in, in serving the Lord, I know I'm not ready to go and be a pastor and be a church planter right now, but I know that every step of the way, God gives grace and he gives wisdom. So I don't have it all figured out, but God's going to help me figure it out as I go along. And I think that's how church planting goes a, a lot of times, and I am so thrilled uh, that we are called to be church planting missionaries, and I don't know that I don't, there is nothing greater than we can devote our time, our effort, our energy then, then to the establishment of the edification and strengthening of local Baptist churches, Bible believing Baptist churches, and uh, we we believe that that's God's plan to reach uh, Elk Point, and that's God's plan to reach America, and that's God's plan to reach Germany, and so. We're going to claim his promises that he will build his church. He said that in his word, and he does not turn back on his promises. And so we would sure appreciate your prayers. I'm going to give you some specific prayer requests. Um, first of all, because prayer works. And I try to, try to get everyone's attention as you were walking in the door. Uh, I hounded you to give, take one of these. These are very, very important to me as a missionary. They are a vital part of God's plan to reach the nations. 
again, because prayer works. And this is just a tool to help God's people remember to pray for us. I know that a lot of you, uh, some of you have walked in the door, man, you were just so excited to see Amy, and, and you weren't as excited to see me, but you're going to forget about me because you have a job and you have obligations, and I fell on the ice yesterday. I don't know. You might fall on the ice. You have other, other things going on in your life besides to just sit there and think about the Padilla family going to Germany, but if you take one of these... It'll help you remember to pray for us. And I say that um, because even as I look at the missionaries on that back wall there, they need your prayers. And the mission field is it's not an easy place. And I don't say that to, to, to complain or to have a pity party because God is with us. But your prayers, I mean, I'm just telling you, they make a difference. We've, we have felt it. We have sensed it. God's protection, God's guidance, God's encouragement healing. Uh, we've seen God do these things, and we know that it's because God's people were back home holding the rope through prayer. And so please, please, please uh, don't leave without one of those prayer cards, and, uh, and please, please be sure to pray for us. But we're, we're just so excited. Uh, specifically, I want you to ask that, that you would please pray for a, a place to live, uh, there's a major housing shortage in Germany. There's 84 million people in an area the size of, or half the size of Texas, about the size of the state of Montana. Uh, housing is, is difficult to come by, especially when you have such a large family like we do. Uh, we have been told that by Germans. Uh, I don't know. For, that's, that's, thank you for your interest for the, uh, on this duplex. For such a large family, is this not going to be uh, possible? Uh, the birth rate is very low in Germany, and so that children are not common. They are seen more as a destructive expense, and they are. I have two kids, <laughs> to be fair, but but they're also they're also an investment, and uh, they're they're a heritage, and uh, they're our future, and so uh, there's there's some obstacles there. And and friends, when you go and, and do the work of God and, and try to start a church, there's going to be opposition. And so uh, we're, we're praying about a place to meet. I was trying to pick your, your pastor's brain about, you know, meeting places. I'm, I'm looking online and what's available and different things like that. Essen is a major city. It's about 500,000 in the city limits, but it's in the middle of this urban sprawl. It's called the Ruhrgebiet. The Ruhr River runs through it. During World War II, it was the, known as the heartbeat of Hitler's war machine, coal and steel. Uh, were produced there for many, many years. And so, very industrial area, a lot of people here. Just very briefly, um, 20 minutes north of Essen is the, the city of Oberhausen. And in Oberhausen is the largest mall in Western Europe. It's called Centro. And my wife is very thankful that we'll only be living 20 minutes from this mall because she likes to shop, just like, just like a lot of ladies. But we were looking on the website, and we found a heartbreaking statistic. The developers of this mall conducted a survey around 150 miles around the city of Oberhausen, and they found 60 million inhabitants. So within 150 miles, 60 million souls. And so 
my job and, and, and what I, I desire to do tonight is just to cry out for these people because they're going to spend eternity somewhere. And I'm going to say this, and I know that even, even as independent Baptists, some people can be like, bless God, we're the only ones doing anything for the Lord. And then there's some people that have a very kind of uh, woe is me, Elijah mentality. I'm the only one, and I, I don't believe that, and, and I try not to have that spirit, but I have looked, and I don't, I can't find any good church in this area. And if you find one, please let me know. I would be thrilled. It would be so exciting to me to hear that somebody else is, is uh, preaching the Bible in a good church in this area. There's no Elk Point Baptist Church in, in this whole region. And so it's extremely needy, very densely populated. That includes part of the Netherlands. Uh, it includes part of uh, Belgium and also uh, France and Luxembourg. So there's, there's just a lot of people, and they're, they're in darkness. There's no one there, and uh, and so we sure do appreciate your prayers. This is for God to open doors. We're going back March 21st. We'll be flying out of Omaha into Frankfurt, and we're just excited for what the Lord is going to do. And um, there's a lot going on in Europe uh, with the, the war in Ukraine and Russia, and that's having an effect on, on, on the German economy. There's, I believe the last statistic I heard is 1.5 million refugees from Ukraine that have been um, accepted into just Germany alone. And so there's a lot of turmoil in society, and I don't know, I, I pray that, that'll, that the Lord will use that instability to help shake people up and, and, and wake them up to, to the gospel. And so you just never know what the Lord is going to do, but we're just going to try to follow him step by step, and, and we'll see what the Lord does. But um, thankful, thankful to be with you tonight, and thankful to have the opportunity to preach God's word to you. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Ephesians in chapter number three tonight. Ephesians in chapter number three. I am going to Germany to tell them this before we get into our message tonight. Römer 3:23. Denn alle haben gesündigt und verfehlen die Herrlichkeit, die sie vor Gott haben sollten which being interpreted is Romanos 3.23, por cuanto todos pecaron y están destituidos de la gloria de Dios, which being interpreted again is Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sadly, many Germans are not aware that they need a Savior, and so we're going and trying to do our best to preach the gospel, but we're going to read and begin reading in verse number 13. Our text goes down through verse 21, but we'll start off just reading verse 13 for now. It says here in Ephesians 3, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Let's go ahead and read that again. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you once again tonight, and we come before your holy throne of grace. And with boldness, Lord, we, we ask that you would please meet with us. Father, I, I believe that you're doing a work in the lives of those present here. They have come out of their homes 
and they expect to hear from you. Lord, we, we need to hear from you tonight. And so, Lord, I pray that as I desire and, and endeavor to preach your word, I pray that your truth would be clear, and I pray that your message would, would hit its mark in the heart of every person tonight. I pray that you would help us to be changed as we see a glimpse of you through your holy word. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see and understand what you're saying to us today, and help us, Father, to obey and help us to meditate upon this. And I pray that you would give us the help that we need tonight. Lord, we love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul the Apostle is writing here to the Ephesians. And Paul the Apostle was a church-planting missionary. He would travel, and, and he would go and find the, the big city, and he would preach the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that message of a crucified and resurrected Savior. And lo and behold, when he preached that message, some people would hear it, and they would believe, much like you did, and much like I did. Uh, as crazy as it sounds, it made an impact in my heart, and, and I, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit within me saying, these things are true. And I humbled myself, and, and if you are saved tonight, you humbled your, your, yourself, and you turned to Christ for salvation. And he did. He saved you. And that's what Paul saw uh, God do throughout the region, throughout his missionary travels. And that was how some people responded. But then, on the other hand, as he went out preaching and, and confronting people with the reality of their sin and the gravity of their sin, some people didn't really like that. Some people were offended. Some people were angry, and Paul faced opposition. In, in one of his letters to the Corinthians, he details all of the perils that he experienced in and through and because of his ministry. Perils by beasts, perils in the wilderness, perils by thieves, perils by his own countrymen, shipwrecked three times, stoned, and left for dead. That's one that, that sticks with me. I, I, I go back to the book of Acts in chapter 14. So in Acts chapter 13, Paul is called, he and Barnabas are called to be missionaries, and they go and travel, and they do that first missionary journey, and towards the end of that journey in Acts chapter 14 is when we find Paul preaching the gospel, and he is dragged out of the city. I mean, he, they drag him out of the city, and they, they gather up a, a mob, a group of men, and they go about throwing stones at him until they are sure that he is dead. That's something that I, thankfully, and I praise the Lord, I have never seen or experienced. And Germans, a lot of times they think of Americans as kind of violent. And uh, I have a three-year-old boy, and he is pretty violent. 
He likes breaking things. He likes destroying things. He likes shooting things. You could give him a piece of toast. He will bite it into the shape of a gun and say, look, Papa, a gun. He's American. He's kind of violent. And so there's, there's that reputation there. But even we, Pastor Haley gets up here tonight after we get done preaching and says, all right, well, I do have an, uh, one final announcement to make. There's a transgressor here in our midst, and we've caught him. We have evidence. We have witnesses. And so we're going to take him out back here, and uh, we've got a pile of stones. We dug him up from under the ice because, you know, that would be logistically. Um, so I, I'm going to need all the men, uh, and we're going to take care of business. Okay, as a visiting missionary, normally I go with the flow, whatever the pastor, you know, what they want me to do. I'll, that one I'm sitting out. Hey, I've got to, you know, we've got to drive back down to, you know, downtown the Sioux City there, so I'm not going to be able to be a part of that stoning. Sorry, brother. Uh, have fun, though. It's, I mean, it's very violent. It's actually gory. We're not going to go into detail of what all of that entails. And I don't I have a lot of experience like that, but I did grow up in Juarez. It's across the border from El Paso in Mexico, and not really a tranquil uh, peaceful, idyllic. It ha has a reputation. If you've ever heard of Juarez, it's because it's one of the most dangerous cities in the world. Cartels have, I mean, pretty much free reign there. It's not always chaos, but it, I mean, when I go down there, I have family down there, and it's, you know, I'm a little nervous, even though, you know, I blend in, I speak Spanish and everything. Well, growing up there, I saw a number of things, and one of them I, I don't know that I'll ever forget. Um, it happened out on the street corner. Young people, don't hang out on the street corner. It always, bad stuff goes down on the street corner. And so there I was, I was about 11 years old. It was kind of a, a warm, sunny day, and we heard a commotion. Uh, fists hitting flesh or torso. There's, you know, the, the sound of a ruckus going on. And we go out to look, what's going on? And there's these two cholos. Okay, you know what a cholo Okay, cholos, uh, just really quickly, it's, you know, it's a, a gangster kind of person. They're, there's just kind of a look they have, right? Uh, normally, it's either a buzz cut or very slick back, right? Um, usually, they're wearing a... Uh, a certain type of shirt, like a muscle shirt, some people call it. There's other names for those kind of, you know, wife beater is what some people call them. I wasn't, you know. Um, they, if they're wearing shorts, now it's brand specific. It's Dickies shorts, and they kind of go straight out. And if they're wearing shorts, they also have to wear the long white tube socks pulled all the way up. And then, you know, sometimes they wear sunglasses that are, like, really dark, but they don't wear them in the front. They wear them in the back because that's cooler to them, right? Two cholos to these two gangsters are getting after it. They're, they're going after each other, and it looked probably like it was two buddies, and some kind of beef came up between them, and so they're trying to, you know, kill each other in the middle of the street, and their, their two cholas are coming up behind them. 
I'm not going to describe cholas. Basically, to sum it up, big loop earrings, right? Uh, dark makeup. Anyway, they're yelling and saying, no, please stop, and they're trying to separate them. Well, in the midst of all this, the, the one man strikes the other, and he falls down. He falls back, and there was a gate there. And, and somebody, you know, they'd, they'd pull their car in. They'd get out. They, they'd, there was a rock there to hold the gate open when they pulled their car in. And it was, a, it was a bigger rock. It was probably 25, 30 pounds. I, I mean, it was so quick he, that the other man fell down, and this guy saw this rock there. This guy's laying there, and he struggled to lift it up. And just like that, he smashed it down. Right when he did that, his girlfriend pulled his arm, and it fell with a thud to the ground. It missed. It didn't hit, hit him. But man. In that instant, there was blood boiling rage in that man's veins. I mean, fury that I have never seen. Murderous rage. And I'm just trying to point out tonight that that's the kind of violence that Paul was subjected to. Not just once, not just, not just in a moment of, heat, of, of anger, but as a deliberate act by a group of the criminal justice system. See, in Paul's day, if the pastor came up and said, all right, we're going to have us a stoning, it wasn't like, whoa, oh, hey, what? No, that's like, okay, this is, this is part of the deal in, in our criminal justice system. That was a normal way of handling things in that day uh, throughout the Roman Empire. Paul was subjected to that as a direct result of preaching that message that we hold dear. The message that a lot of times we take for granted is preached freely in this country. Paul suffered, and now he is in prison. Look at verse 1 with me, chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner. That is not a figurative uh, like, metaphor, like he's like, he's in prison. He is literally captive. He's behind bars. I had opportunity today to go down to the federal courthouse in Sioux City. There's, there's a man there um, that uh, has turned his life around, but he made some mistakes in the past. And there was a sentencing. And man, it's it's heartbreaking. It's a heartbreaking thing. There was, there was history there, and, and we'll go into everything, but man, uh, the judge sentenced uh, this man to 50 months in federal prison. And this man's family was there, and there were some small children, and man, it's a heavy thing. It's, it's terrible uh, that He's being deprived of his liberty, but, but he's guilty, and he pled guilty, and he's, he's trying to minister now there in prison, and a number of folks trying there, there to support and help him through all of that. Uh, it's a terrible thing to see somebody deprived of, of liberty. Sometimes that's, that's justified, and that, that's what the criminal justice system does when it deems somebody is unfit to be free in society. It's a shameful thing. And if there's someone here who has been in prison, I mean, 
there's forgiveness and, and you can move forward, but nobody, I think, would argue that it's, that it's not a bad thing. And Paul is now in prison, associated with every other criminal, because he preached the gospel. And so that's why he's saying, and we're reading in verse 13, he's identified a fault, a, a, a trap, a, a tendency that may be present in the Ephesians. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not. See, Paul, commentators uh, tend to agree that he wrote, that Paul wrote this letter about a year into his incarceration. And one of the things that prisoners have a lot of is time. Time to think, time to reflect. I believe that Paul is thinking back on all of his travels and all that God has done through him and all of the people who were gloriously saved as a result of his preaching the gospel. And he's thinking about them and he's thinking about here the Ephesians. And he's looking not only at the people, the successes, but I mean that long list of perils and then now he's in prison and his tribulations. And what he's really asking and expecting the, of the Ephesians is what we're expected to do is to follow in his steps, to submit to the will of God, to follow God wherever he may lead us and whatever he leads us into. And if you look at that that way, it's a little bit crazy that he's expecting anyone with like two brain cells to follow in his steps, I mean, it doesn't look good, does it? And so he's, he's telling them here, I, I hope that you don't faint. And just to be clear, this fainting that he's talking about is not, is not about losing your salvation. Okay? There is a service and an obedience and a fellowship that we have with God. After that we are saved, we have a purpose and we have a plan. And it's possible, even though we, we are saved by grace and kept by grace, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, it is possible to hinder the closeness that we have and the fellowship that we have and to limit our usefulness to God. And I, I got saved as a teenager, and if you've been in church for any amount of time, you have seen people. They used to come to church. They used to be involved. They used to help you out. They used to be your example. And somewhere along the way, they fainted. I went to a Bible college where I met people who said they were called to be a pastor. They were called to be a missionary. They knew the country that they were called to. And somewhere along the way, they fainted. Well, it... It's not easy to follow the Lord. Otherwise, less people would faint. And so, when I look at the life of Paul and his determination in getting stoned, can we go back to that for a second? He just got stoned. They thought he was dead. Okay, think about the physical state that he found himself in. I mean, if they're throwing stones big enough to kill someone, they probably are big enough to break bones, they are probably big enough to break skin, okay, and what did he do? He got back up, 
and kept on going. If you read that account in Acts 14, they don't mention anything about his recovery, about his mental health, about all of those things. He didn't even talk about that. According to the account in Scripture, he just kept on going. And when he gets back to Antioch at the end of the missionary journey, he just talks about how God used him and all that God had done through him and, and how that there was a door of faith open to the Gentiles. That's what Paul was excited about. That's what he was concerned about, not all that he suffered. And I don't think any of us have ever gone through anything like that. And so that begs the question, how in the world did Paul find the strength to endure all of this tribulation, to endure all of this, these, the storms of life? Well, I think he's, he's going to give the Ephesians the keys that, that allowed him to endure all of those things and not just get back up, but keep on going and keep on laboring to fulfill God's purpose for him in this world. Look at verse 14 with me. He's concerned. I hope you don't faint. And then he moves down and, and, and begins trying to help us tonight. For this cause... I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to park here for a long time, but I can't just skip over this like it's no big deal. Paul was a man of prayer, and kneeling is an act of physical humbling, submission to the Lord. And Paul was a man of prayer. He believed in prayer. And as I consider the friends that I've had over the years, the, the, the church folks that I have seen throughout the years, who were at one point strong in their faith, at one point they, they thought that they saw that God had a plan for their life, that God had a purpose for their life, and fainted. I wonder if we would say about them, it's because they just prayed too much. I think that's pretty safe to say, isn't it? That... A lot of the fainting that we see in, 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 in Christian circles and in churches is a result of prayerlessness. Man, I am, I am so burdened. I, my heart breaks for America. And, and, and I'm, I've never been more burdened. The, 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 the social decline that we're seeing everywhere. I mean, I, I'm not just... Not, not getting into the statistics and numbers, just my, what my eyes see in the communities that I know well, communities like El Paso, communities like Sioux City, homelessness is up. I mean, you can see people under the influence of drugs visibly out on the street in numbers that I had never seen before. And it's not isolated. It's all over our country. And friends, there is a desperate need for people to pray for America, for people to pray for our leadership, for people to pray for our churches, for people to pray for their pastor, that God would bless America, that God would help America. Man, prayer works. And as dark as things might seem, as long as there is prayer, there is hope. Prayer moves the hand of God, and unless we become more convinced in that, we will be susceptible to fainting. Verse 15 says, Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, 
that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. And there's a part of me that looks at a lot of the societal changes in America, and part of me is like, man, we just need to be tougher, or and men just need to be men, more manly, and, and, and go out and chop a tree down. We're getting soft, and we need to go lift some weight. That's not, that's not real strength. That's not, that's not, his bench press isn't what allowed him to find the strength to just gut it out. It's because of all his workouts, he just dug real deep. No, no, it, we're talking about something far deeper than, than a, a cultural strength or a generational strength back in my day. And you know what I mean? There's, there's, a, there's a toughness and a power that, that Paul sees a strength that is available to us and he's trying to give us the keys to, to, to find it and to, to, to grab a hold of that. Strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye, being rooted and grounded in what? That doesn't sound like that tough, like in World War II, man, when they were under the fire and they were, and they were injured, right? They just kind of bit their lip and kept on going, right? There's part of like machismo, kind of like, man, just tough it out. No, that's not, that's not what Paul did to get up and keep on going through the storms of life. It doesn't matter how strong you feel. It doesn't matter how physically strong you are. It doesn't matter how great of an intellect you may have. It doesn't matter how your personality is or, or your abilities or talents. That's not the source of strength. The source of, of Christian strength is just very simply this. God's love. And it's, it's so simple that so many people overlook it. And I really, I, I honestly, thinking about this passage and thinking about how it applies and thinking about the people who have fainted. I remember a friend of mine who went to Bible college and graduated and was serving faithfully and, and, and was doing seemingly well, but then had this attitude. And he said this to me once. He said, God could never use me. No. So what that told me was that he could not accept that God would use someone like him, that he did not believe that God would have a plan for somebody like him, which is just another way of saying he, he had trouble accepting God's love. And I think that there's a lot of Christians that sit in, in churches today who's, who are stunted in their, in their growth spiritually because they have, they have trouble just accepting that, that very simple fact. God loves me. It's easy to understand, you know, God loves the world and everything, but we live with us. I live with me. And that's not as easy as it sounds to, to accept that and to come to terms with that. People try to live with guilt when he's paid already for all of that guilt 
And if we could just get a hold of this, we would be rooted and grounded and find stability, unlike the world around us. We wouldn't be so up one day, down the next. Man, we have a, a, a revival or a conference or a camp, and man, we're flying high. And then a week or two passes, and we're struggling. We're struggling to stay afloat. We're struggling to have a desire to come back to church. And, and so there's, there's this up and down, and that has to do with the fact that we aren't grounded in, in his love. Let's, let's read further. In verse 18, it says that, that being grounded in love may be able to comprehend. That's important. It's talking about understanding something, about comprehending intellectually something, about meditating upon something. To comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, the vastness, the dimension of God's love. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. We will never exhaust the love of God. We will, not, we will never, this side of eternity, fully comprehend what that even means. But the more I know about God's love, the more I will be rooted, the more that I will be grounded and be able to weather whatever this life throws at me. Rooted and grounded in God's love. And let me just help you tonight. If, if, if you're not sure what that means, come with me to Calvary. On the cross, you see the greatest manifestation of love ever. If you're not sure what that means, maybe you're here tonight and you aren't 100% sure that if you died right now, that you would go to heaven. You need to come to the cross and experience the love of Jesus Christ. That in spite of your sin, he died for you. He shed his blood on that cross so that you could be saved. And he's offering you tonight a free gift of salvation. All you have to do is come to him and accept it. And based on God's word, he will save you. And I think one of the reasons that we struggle with that as Christians is going back to what I said at the beginning of the sermon, Romans 3.23, we have all sinned. We have to recognize that we are sinners. And that is the first step to, know, to, to finding God's love in Jesus Christ through salvation. But, but even after we get saved, a lot of Christians like to stay there. And they focus so heavily on, on their own unworthiness. Am I unworthy? Absolutely. But there's more to the story. Because we, we need to look beyond how unworthy and how unfit I am and look unto how utterly worthy and worthy of praise and worthy of honor and worthy of worship and worthy of obedience and worthy of service that he is, that he would look on someone like me and be willing to die for me. We need to be careful not to get stuck in this, in this pattern of self-loathing. Yes, it's good to recognize that you are a sinner, but don't, 
Don't focus on that. That's a dark place to live. Look at all he's done to redeem you from that sin. The Bible says that it is as far as the east is from the west. Never to be remembered. It's gone. And so we, we, we have reason to rejoice and to rest and to be comforted even when things get difficult. I think of Brother Bernie Moreno. He is a longtime Hillcrester from Hillcrest Baptist Church there in El Paso. He served in the military, and in the 70s, he, he got out and got saved there in El Paso and has been a, been a part of the church for, for many, many years. When I went on staff there as an intern in 2013, Brother Bernie Moreno was the custodian. He was full-time there, had a lot of property to manage, so he was always there early and usually there late, and he was always going. A lot of energy, and it was going into the winter of 2013. He was helping an elderly church member uh, winterize their air conditioner, and he was up on the roof. And uh, in El Paso, we have these rock walls that a lot of people divide a lot of the properties and homes and stuff. And at, at the top, the, the wall comes to kind of a point. And Brother Bernie was up there on the roof, and the ladder slipped. He, he rolled down, fell onto the roof, the first le level of the roof, and then fell onto this rock wall. Well, his spine fell right on that point, and it severed. It, it crushed the vertebrae and severed his spinal cord. In a, in a moment... He lost the ability to walk. He was in intensive care, and uh, we had a weeks weeks later we had a staff Christmas party there, uh, and we went all went to the rehab center to go visit Brother Bernie. And I had never been, you know, to someone that had just gone through something like that before. I wasn't sure what to expect, and man, I was shocked. He he was sitting there on his bed, and just seemed to have the joy of the Lord. He started telling us a story about how the nurse had come in, and, and Brother Bernie's not a doctor, and neither am I, but he was telling us uh, that they came in with all these pills. The nurse came in, and they were giving him pain pills, and then you know, they gave him some other pills, and he was like, well, what's the, what are these for? And they said, oh, well, you're going to need those. Um, they're for your depression. And he said, I don't need those. I have the Lord. And, man, that's one thing to say that. But uh, he got a wheelchair, and he continued on staff there and continued cleaning to the best of his ability. And he was out, always out there. He he's, uh, helps in the, the parking lot and directing traffic. And, man, he's still there. Well, fast forward this last year, we're getting ready to come back, and his wife passed away. Uh, Miss Sandra went home to be with the Lord. And you can just imagine what kind of help she was for him. And so, again, we go back there to El Paso, and I, you know, wasn't sure what to expect. You know, that's a big, that's a big loss. It's a big deal. So I show up Sunday morning pretty early, and um, Brother Bernie's one of the first people there. He's out in the wheelchair getting ready to direct traffic that morning. And so I, you know, go up to him, and I say, hey, Brother Bernie, how, how you doing? And... And he said, I'm doing great. God is good. There's a root there. 
And he has endured storms that I don't even want to imagine. And he's continuing. And I'm not, I'm not lifting anyone up to a degree that they ought not to. I just don't see a, a, an ounce of bitterness in him. He's sitting there telling me that he's excited that his leg hurts. Because that means that there's nerves that are growing back and neural pathways are finding their, their, their way back into those, into those muscles. And he's saying, yeah, my leg hurts. And this one hurts more than this one. I'm just telling you something, that God can give us power to endure things that we don't realize. Look at verse 20. It says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. That's a lot. I can think of a lot and imagine a lot. And I can ask for a lot. He can do more. Now, in, in closing, I just want to point this out to you. In verse 21, it says, Unto him be glory where? In the church. This is God's idea. And it is so popular today for people to say, Oh, yeah, no, I believe in God. I believe in God. But organized religion... Nah, I don't know about all that. I, I, do, I do my own thing my own way, and I try to stay close to God. Well, the only problem with that is, is that you have to ignore a lot of the Bible because church is God's idea and his design to help us, to help us weather the storms and to show people our roots. I look at Brother Bernie when I'm back at Hillcrest, and I, it just is encouragement to me. And furthermore, you might be going through a difficult time. You might be going through a storm. You might be in some tribulation. And you are here as a demonstration that the love of God, you rooted in his love, can find you and stability, and even joy in the midst of difficulty. And instead of fainting, continuing with your purpose, God has a purpose for your life, and he has a purpose for my life. And as long as he is before me, I'm going to head toward that purpose. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be storms. Don't let anything derail you. Don't let anything get you off the track. If, you've, if you're here and you're saved, but you've never joined, I want to encourage you, join the church, either through baptism or through letter or however the case. Talk to, talk to pastor about what that means. What, what is that? Why is that such a big deal? I'm telling you, that's really important, and it's a, it's a help to you because the way that we drive down that root, we grow that root and, and, and become more... Uh, strengthened in him and, and stable in him is just through the act of coming to church and being faithful to church and being around other believers. And, and it doesn't happen overnight, but that root keeps, keeps going deeper and deeper as you learn more, as you're challenged from the word of God through preaching, as you, as you focus on, 
on the, the words of the songs. Man, that's a beautiful song tonight. I never heard that song about the harvest dying out in the field. Man, those kinds of things help us refocus and drive that root a little bit more deep. So what's the next step that you need to take? to become more involved, to become more committed, to driving down that root, whatever that might mean for you. Don't faint. Don't look back. Don't give up on the Lord. He won't give up on you. I'll ask you to bow your heads tonight. Just want to give a, a time of invitation, a time to for you to respond. If, if God has been good enough to speak, Will you be good enough to respond to him? If you're here tonight, and I want to just ask for a moment of privacy, nobody looking around, everybody's heads bowed, everybody's eyes closed. If you're here tonight and you aren't 100% sure, nobody's looking around, we're not going to embarrass anyone or do anything weird. I just, I just want to pray for you and I want to invite you to come forward. We'd love to show you from God's word how you can be saved. If you're here tonight and you're not certain about your salvation, will you just slip your hand up? Again, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. I know that maybe uh, there's, some, there's some things that you're, you're not sure about. just want to give an opportunity. Somebody's here and is not saved. Christian, child of God, life's storms. I'm, I'm not going to diminish. They hurt. They feel very dark. We can go through some deep valleys in life, and, and we're not exempt from that. And, and so I don't know what you might be going through, but just give it to God and stay on the track. Don't faint. Father, thank you so much for your word and, and for your love for us, Lord. Help us just to, to rest in the simple fact that you see what we're going through, and you know who we are, and you care about us. And you love us. And help us, Lord, to weather the storms of life. Father, we pray that you bless this time of invitation in Jesus' name.